Hi, this is Rosie Gabriel, and welcome to the Ride and Talk BMW Motorrad Podcast. Hi, and it's welcome from Andy Dukes too. When I was recently reporting on the International GS Trophy female team qualifiers down in Spain, I met the amazing Rosie Gabrielle, who started travelling solo around 18 years ago and has spent the best part of this year riding through Pakistan. She loves riding alone, camera always at the ready to document her travels, the incredible places she passes through and the memorable encounters with all kinds of people she meets along the way. She broke with tradition, for a while at least, when she rode alongside another group of amazing people, the female GS community who welcome Rosie to Andalusia to document their hopes and dreams of a place in the international finals in New Zealand. Having followed Rosie's compelling and brave story, marvelled at her beautiful self-time photos and open-hearted posts about life on the road with serious health issues, I just had to find out more about what continues to inspire her to inspire us. So enjoy listening to somebody who is really living for the moment while she still can. Welcome Rosie, it's lovely to have you here. First question, you're riding all over but usually alone. So how was the experience of meeting all these GS girls from around the world? Yeah, it's been a, a very exciting experience coming here to the GS Trophy, the female qualifier here in Spain. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even think there's words that can properly convey my feelings about it all. It's just, it's so overwhelming. It's so emotional. It's so... Uh, just humbling to see all these amazing women from all over the world, all walks of life, and, you know, just push through no matter what, no matter uh, all the, the challenges and everything, and they're just all smiles, and there's so much support and love. I think that's the biggest thing, because I've been to other rallies before, and, you know, there's a lot of rah, 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 ego, like all of this stuff, and there was no, there wasn't that really you know, aggressive, competitive, it was love and support. And that to me was the most beautiful thing, you know, from all the marshals, from the entire BMW team and every single one of the girls, it was just beautiful to watch. And were you surprised at how good the riding level is of the girls? Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I don't meet a lot of female riders on the road. And uh, I'm five foot six and a half. And uh, I ride all sorts of big bikes, big bikes, and usually my toes are like tippy toe on the ground. Um, but you know, I'm a medium sized person, human being, and I struggle. <laughs> and then I see these girls who are like five foot, and they're just rocking it, you know. And I just like my jaws just dropping. And yesterday, we pull up, and I see this hill climb. And the first thing I'm thinking is like, oh my God, I could never do that. And I do a lot of, lot of riding and, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's mind over matter and it's very, it's very intimidating, but these girls gave it no second thought. They just gave it. And I was just in complete awe, you know, it was incredible. And like on big bikes. Yeah. So, um, the participants rode the F850 GS, but you rode the, the box of the R1250 GS. How was your experience on that big bike? Wow. So I've always wanted to try this bike, but with a little apprehension because this bike is intimidating. It is a big 
bike. <laughs> and uh, I just finished the last three months riding on a little 250. So the sensation, I mean, I'm used to changing up my bikes all the time, but that sensation to go from, you know, every single day, 10 or so hours a day riding a 250 to then hopping on a 1250, there's a, there's a big difference there. So it took some initial adjustments and getting used to. And uh, you, you think like, oh my gosh, this is such a big bike. I'm not sure I'm going to handle it. And everyone's like, no, no, the 1250 just rides itself. And they're right. Like, I was blown away. This thing is a tractor. This thing is so steady and so smooth. And, yeah, I was like, ooh, this is nice. (laughs) Do I have to go back to my 250 now? (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing, yeah. Why travel alone? Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Uh, I... Traveling alone for me is an opportunity to explore a little deeper. And not only the countries that I'm visiting, because it presents this opportunity when you're alone, you're not in the safe bubble anymore. Like if you travel in a group, you kind of stay in that group. But when you're alone, you're kind of in this vulnerable position that opens you up to different experiences, such as people are more likely to approach you, to come invite you in their home, or you're more, uh, uh, you're, you're more likely to kind of go out of, you know, you're, you're not in your comfort zone, so you, you seek different things. And uh, so it's not only an opportunity to explore the places you're going at a deeper level, but it's an opportunity to explore yourself at a deeper level. And for me, traveling solo is this journey to the depths of my own soul, to push myself to my own limits and to really get to understand myself in so many different situations and to grow to my maximum potential as a human being. (laughs) And you've been on the road for how long now? Uh, so now, uh, I quit my job about three and a half years ago and I decided I wanted to travel full time. So about three and a half years, little breaks here and there going home, um, for a month or so at a time, but pretty much just consistently traveling for about that amount of time. But you've been traveling for longer than that. Is that three and a half years on a motorcycle sort of pretty much full time? Yeah. But my first travels was 15 years ago. That was my first tour. I was 19. Yeah. So what motivated you to hit the road in the first place? Three years ago? So I got to a point in my life where everything just sort of fell apart. I hit rock bottom. And I've had a lot of health problems my whole life. But at this point, things just got really, really bad. And I kind of gave up on life. And uh, at that point, one of my friends passed away. And he was 31. He passed away in a car crash. It was really sudden. And I was going through our Facebook messages, and every year it was kind of the same thing. It was, I was telling him, I was like, I'm not happy with my life. All I want to be doing is traveling the world by motorcycle. And it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, "Uh, hello, (laughs) why aren't you listening to yourself here? And uh, given that, that situation, I realized, like, life is so short. Like, it can be taken like that. So I was thinking to myself, like, if I were to die tomorrow, have I lived the life that I wanted to live? Have I done everything that I wanted to do? And I said, absolutely not. 
you know, and at that point I was like, you got to wake up, Rosie, you got to, you got to do this. So I was like, okay, all right. And I travel the world by motorcycle. But, um, you know, I felt that I saw the world differently. I felt that I could really share something with people. And that's why I decided to start my YouTube and my social media. And from there, just see how it would evolve. So has social media changed the way that you travel and communicate? So it's difficult because when I first started traveling 15 years ago, there was no smartphones, there was no social media. Uh, you know, it was a different way of traveling. And now uh, it's difficult because I want to capture everything. So you're not so much living in the moment anymore. You're always worried about, oh, how am I best going to put my bike for the light to capture this and this and this. So it really takes you away from the moment. And on my last tour, I kind of stepped back from social media a bit. Um, also, I don't want to spend most of my time on my my mobile device I want to actually be experiencing so uh, I actually gave up a bit and I wasn't vlogging every day and it's just finding this balance and that's what it is really is finding this balance of okay how can I experience and equally share with people the experience and in some regards there is a sacrifice to that um, which is why I'm kind of moving a little bit out of uh, the video making and more into potentially podcasts <laughs> or something like that because it is a big sacrifice yeah you, you take some beautiful pictures but like you say that you know the time to take pictures yourself where did you learn to take pictures in the first place uh so i'm a self-taught photographer and i ended up opening a business in oman a photography business and I didn't have any formal uh, teaching I didn't go to school or anything like that I just thought you know what I'm gonna start something here so I started a business there and I did uh, wedding photography commercial fashion you name it uh, I did it for about 10 years in Oman and then uh, just took what I knew on the road with me and uh, but I do have this perfectionism in me so everything has to be perfect and I'm pretty sure I'm the only adventure rider who travels with uh, two and a half tripods and a flash gun. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty much all of the pictures we see on your Insta feed, they're, they're not taken by other people. They're, they're set up on a tripod with a self-timer with, mm-hmm. yeah, a bit of trial and error until you get exactly what you need. Yeah. Like I saw you doing the other day. Yeah, yeah. So 99% of my pictures on my feed are taken by me. The odd time I have a friend or I'm lucky that uh, I run into someone who can take my picture. Or I just set it up and they press the button or, you know, something like this. But uh, and it's, it's challenging, but I like the challenge because I'm an artist. And for me, it's about also expressing myself too. Since you've been on the road, where have you been? How many countries have you seen? So I travel very slowly. And uh, for example, I've been in Pakistan now nine months. So, and I don't travel consecutively across borders or like a specific route. I basically wait for the universe to give me a sign and say, you're going to this country. Um, Or I take opportunities such as uh, someone from my social media had ridden their bike from Zanzibar to Cape Town and reached out to me and said, hey, can you return my bike for me? And I was like, oh, heck yeah, free bike across Africa? Sure. Um, Little did I know, I arrived to Cape Town and the thing was a pile of junk. And I spent six months across South Africa as this thing slowly fell apart. 
And so, you know, in the three and a half years since I started, I haven't been to, I've only covered South Africa, which was six months. I've done a few trips across Oman, the UAE, and now Pakistan. So literally, I travel extremely slowly. <laughs> and what have you got on your traveling wish list? Where do you still need to go? What do you oh, want gosh, to see? the entire world. <laughs> I've barely touched it. Um but for me, it's not necessarily about conquering. There's a lot of people out there who, you know, do the round-the-world trip in one year and, you know, or they get from Europe to the Middle East in a month. And this is great for them. You know, this is what they want to do, and that's amazing. Uh, for me, it's not, you know, I would love to see the entire world. There's so much. Every culture, you can learn so much. Um, but for me, it's about the journey and the people I meet along the way, and it's not necessarily about getting to all these different countries. It's just uh, the experience along the way. So yeah, I would love to eventually cross Africa. I would love to eventually go to South America, um, all these places, but uh, um, it's we'll see what's in the cards for me. Um, I'm not sure I can do much long-distance traveling from here on, but uh, we'll see. Now, you've got some health issues. How Can you just tell us a little bit about them and how you deal with that on the road yeah so uh it's difficult i've had uh, chronic lyme's disease for over 20 years now uh, before that i had a vascular condition so i had nine major surgeries kidney removed heart surgery you name it uh which leaves me with some complications these days uh, the biggest thing is the fatigue and the pain that I have every day. And for most people, I mean, if you Google or hashtag Lyme's disease, most people who have it are in the hospital. And uh, it's just difficult. Daily life is difficult. So having to deal with that on the road is challenging. Um it's very challenging, and uh, I spend. That's another reason why I do travel so slowly, is because I spend majority of the time recuperating, or crying in bed. <laughs> um, it's incredibly uh, challenging, but it's something that you know. Pain teaches you so much, and it's very humbling, and it uh, makes you see life differently. And what I've gone through in my life and the challenges that have been presented to me have only provided that much more growth and expansion for my own self. Um, what is difficult, because I camp almost every other night or I stay with locals and people who don't speak the language and who wouldn't understand and uh, I'm there silently suffering. Or an event like this, for example, where I'm literally half dying half dead would have to be so happy and like excited to be here for social media and I'm like I want to fucking die you know and uh, people don't understand because I look healthy and that's probably been the most challenging part is because I do look normal um, meanwhile in my head I'm screaming <laughs> uh, but uh, it's okay it's all right and and there, there are a lot of foods that you can't eat as well. But, you know, by, by nature of the sort of traveling experience and being on the road, you can't really choose. You know, you have to get what's available locally. So mm. do you find yourself often in situations where you're eating something that you know is not good for you, but you have no choice because you've got to get that energy inside you? 
every single day. And it's not necessarily like uh, people like with this dietary restriction, there's lots I can eat. That's not really the issue. There's always food I can find. The issue more is when I'm staying with a, a local family, for example, that have absolutely nothing. And they're so excited to have a guest. And, you know, it's really an honor for them to feed me. And if I were just to say, oh, no, sorry, I can't eat that. Like, it, it I, I just couldn't do that. So most of the time I find myself in those sort of situations where I'm eating just out of respect. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just suffer later. <laughs> and uh, and now even also on top of that, I've had parasites for about two months from Pakistan that I haven't dealt with. So it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> Never a dull moment. No. So what part of the world would you say that you feel closest to and why? I think maybe living in the Middle East for almost 13 years, like, I feel really connected there. Um, But it's not, there's not a specific place. And even home isn't home for me. Uh, Home being Canada. Canada, yeah, sorry. Um, Home is in the heart. And it's like wherever I go, I find a little piece of home just in that connection with others and knowing that I'm connected to everything. I think if if I'm tuned into that, I can be in the middle of the mountains, I can be in a city, I can be in this country or that, but it's just being connected to that and that's home for me. So in your experience so far, which would you say is the friendliest nation in the world so far that you've encountered? Oh, Pakistan is pretty high up there. Yeah, definitely. Like as an outsider, as a woman, um, and and when I'm traveling there, uh, I mean, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm I'm surrounded by men all the time, and so they're not used to seeing women on bikes. It's a complete foreign thing to them, and you know, I'm so accepted and so respected there. Um, people are just so excited to to meet me, to have me in their home, to, you know, it's such a beautiful experience. And for a nation that, you know, if you look in the media about Pakistan, you're not going to find this. And people are very genuinely scared uh, or apprehensive to travel there. And it's a little bit unknown, but uh, definitely they're most beautiful people. Yeah, I mean, you know, the female traveling alone in in countries like that that are portrayed in a different way or Muslim or Arab countries portrayed in a different way in in Western media, I guess that raises a few eyebrows from a lot of people everywhere you go. Mm. Yeah, but I think all over the world, like every every place I've been, the people are so welcoming. I've never been to a country where they haven't been friendly and welcoming, right? And uh, for me, but also it's it's this idea and a lot of people uh, I speak to, it's this energy you project. So if you project, like people aren't going to have necessarily the same experience that I have because like if you go into a place with like a, a preconceived idea or if you go in with fear or thinking a, a certain thing, then this is what you might find. But if you go in with a complete open mind and with respect and with love, this is what you're going to receive. So in 15 years of myself traveling, I've never really encountered unfriendly people. (laughs) 
So you, you say you do believe in the kindness of strangers? Oh, absolutely. And that's another reason why I travel by myself. And um, I welcome challenges and things going wrong and my bike breaking down because these are moments when you can really experience raw humanity and and love and kindness from strangers. And this is what keeps me going because in your day-to-day life at home, you're not necessarily going to, well, experience it to this level, you know. And that that to me is... is the most beautiful thing about traveling by myself. During your travels, I think you, you've ridden loads of different bikes in, in various different countries. But what would what would you say is the, the, the your, your most preferred bike so far, or the best bike that you feel you've ridden? Mm-hmm. So I've ridden over thirty different types of bikes all over the world, and uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, what's your favorite bike? And my my answer is usually, you know, oh, it's just two wheels. It gets you from point A to point B. And and really, that that's what it's about because it's about the adventure. It's not necessarily about what you're riding. Um, but that was until I rode the <laughs> F700 and I did that tour across the south of Pakistan. And uh, it was uh, souped up. It was, I don't know what they do, modify these bikes. But that bike was so amazing to ride. Um, uh, it was, yeah, I think, you know, if I were to have a favorite, that would probably be my favorite. (laughs) And it's, it's nice because I rode the 800 before and it's a bit taller, but uh, the 700 and the 800, there's a vast difference between them. And I really enjoyed that bike. What do you think holds most people back from, from stepping out, from traveling, from, you know, seeking their dreams? Hmm. Fear. And it's not necessarily travel related it's anything in life it's this fear of the unknown it's these limiting beliefs whether it's cultivated from them themselves or the people around them or the media it's this what if or you can't do it you know for a lot of women travelers it's like no 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 you can't do it because you're a woman or no you can't go to this country because it's too dangerous or no i can't do this because i have health problems it's actually yeah you can it's just you're telling yourself you can't So, and the hardest thing is making that first step. Even for me, after traveling for 15 years, I still struggle that first step, you know. And for me, it's different reasons. But, you know, once you're out there, you realize, okay, this is easy. And it's getting that out of your mind and actually just throwing yourself into it and surrendering and not having that fear. Because uh, I don't know what it is. I don't have that fear gene in me (laughs) a lot of people ask you aren't you scared it's like I can be in the middle of absolutely nowhere and you know if my bike breaks down or I don't know where I'm going to stay or something happens I don't think about these thoughts don't even enter my mind because I know that whatever is going to happen is going to happen I can't stop that I can't control that so there's no point in worrying myself with that so yeah fear and it doesn't have to cost the earth in terms of being expensive, does it? I mean, you live in quite a frugal way, don't you? Oh, absolutely. This is the number one question I get, which is how do you afford it? And to be honest, it's cheaper to travel than it is to live at home. I mean, travel can be as expensive or cheap as you want it to be. But like rent in Vancouver is crazy expensive. And then you have insurance and then you have gas for your vehicles and then you have uh, entertainment costs and what most of my friends would spend going out in a weekend at home, I could spend in an entire month on the road. So 
I camp a lot. I stay with locals. I eat local food. Petrol for my bike is really cheap. Just to give you an idea, in the six months I traveled Pakistan, I spent a thousand Canadian dollars. That is, I think, 600 euro. That's amazing. Yeah, you can't even spend that in rent in a month. <laughs> what keeps you going? Oh, this idea that the journey isn't over, this self-discovery, that there's so much more out there. And it's just this continuous evolution of where can I get to next in, in my own spiritual growth. It's not necessarily to conquer the world, to have a good social media account. It's not about that, you know. And, of course, I love to inspire people, but it's actually an internal journey that I'm on. And uh, if I can inspire other people along the way through my own trials and tribulations, and that's awesome. Do you have a um, do you have an end date or you know like for example if I was going to say how how long do you want to keep living like this would you mm. say living like what <laughs> this is my life or yeah and this is my life it, it's a it's a lifestyle and it's something that I never want to stop there has to be some uh, modulation I have to change the way I do things because the long term travel like I do, is not conducive to my health. And as much as I'd like to think so, I made a post about this recently, how, you know, it is mind, part of it is mind over matter. Like, yes, I can do it. I can do anything. But then reality hits and it's like, oh, actually, no, I am still sick. And to do this travel as I do, it's extremely wearing and I don't have that time to recuperate. So maybe it doesn't look like, you know, around the world trip, but maybe it's like, okay, I'll do this country for a month now and then I rest for a month type thing. So it's definitely not something I'm going to stop. I do have to perhaps change things a bit, but it's not I never see an end date to this. Does it make your storytelling even more important to you? Do you need the, the, the fact that you want to sort of have something there as a permanent record of what you've done to inspire other people? Because you spend a, lo a long time on it. You know, it's not mm -hmm. something it's not something that you, you whiz through. It's something that you put a lot of thought and effort mm -hmm. into and it means a lot to you. It's, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Because at this point in time, as I mentioned, I am stepping out of a bit of that social media aspect. And as much as I do want to inspire people, it does take away from a few things in my life. So it's, uh, it's finding that balance. As I mentioned, I do want to continue doing what I'm doing, but maybe in different, different ways. Where would you say that you feel most at peace? When I'm in the middle of nowhere around absolutely nobody <laughs> and literally vast landscapes where you're just in complete awe and you feel about this big and you're just like, wow. Like, I think in these areas, when I'm on my bike and the most incredible surroundings, you feel so connected and that I can't tell you how many times I've been brought to tears of just feeling this ultimate divine connection of just awe. Do you consider yourself brave? No. Everyone always says this. And I understand from the perspective that most people don't do what I do. And I understand that it takes a level of bravery to go out and go for your dreams and do this. But for me, it 
feels completely normal. And I think it's because I don't have that fear. I'm just like, it's easy. <laughs> I mean, in, you know, some respects, but for me, it's just, yeah, it's, mm, I don't know. But I guess, yeah, bravery to go and, you know, do the things that you want to do. But I've always done that. I've never, you know, when I was 20 years old, after I did my first tour, I needed money. And someone said, hey, you're a good singer. You should do something with it. So I was like, oh, sure, okay. So I applied for a band. Next thing I know, I'm shipped off to the Middle East and I'm singing in a five-star hotel. Never performed on stage in my life. Uh, yeah, sure, that takes bravery or stupidity. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> a little naive at times. or But, uh, you know, I've never held back anything in my life. I've always just gone for it without thinking of, I don't know, or I, can, I don't know if I can do this, or I can't do this, this never enters my brain. So for me, it's just normal. Is it important for you to give hope or, or inspiration to, to others through your traveling experiences? Absolutely, because I think uh, this is the shining light for people. So many people do give up hope, or they think that they can't. And it just takes this one opportunity, or like this one um, flick of the switch to get people going. And I think that's another thing that keeps me going, of like why I want to continue on the social media journey and inspiring people, because since I began, because I am so transparent with my health problems, with my struggles, it's not the normal travel account that you would necessarily follow. But because of that, I can't even tell you. And I mean, in the beginning, it was a lot easier because I had a lot less messages. Now it's a little overwhelming for me to step into the darkness of my Facebook <laughs> inbox. It's a little intimidating. But, you know, for the first two or three years when I started, the messages I would get. And I think when you open that door of uh, vulnerability, people connect to it. And it's safe because, you know, I'm not there. And so they open up to me. And the stories that I've heard and the challenges and people say, you know, oh, I've been struggling with this health problem or my wife died last year or this has happened and I wanted to give up on life. I had a teenager of 13 years old reach out to me who wanted to commit suicide and said, because I heard your story, I wanted to live again. Yeah, that's special, isn't it? That yeah. really is. And that's interesting because when, when you've got a very active social media presence and that there are also going to be people out there who don't message you because they think, oh, she'll never respond. Or do you try and respond to, to a lot of the messages that come in, mm -hmm. as many as you can? So these messages, absolutely. Like, I can't tell you, like, I don't get paid for what I do. And, but it was, I felt it was a personal responsibility. People were reaching out to me with these kind of messages. And so I took the time. I would take hours and hours and hours out of my day to write lengthy emails and responses to these people because I felt... It felt a responsibility in that, oh, I can really change this person's life. So yes, these sort of messages, absolutely, I take the time to do. There's a lot of messages that I get, oh, you inspire me, or this, or da-da-da-da. I would love to respond to all of these, but I can't. Um, but the ones that really I know need that, I take the time to do it, yeah. And how long do you feel that you can keep this going for? I mean, where, where, where for example, would you like to see yourself in five years' time? Uh, as I mentioned before, like, maybe go the podcast route. Like, I do want to continue doing this. Um, 
something maybe a little bit easier for me. But uh, absolutely, like I said, when I first started this journey, I feel like I have something to give back to humanity or to inspire people. So I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. Um, but I know my path isn't this. <laughs> and the universe has kind of been telling me that for some time now that it's like, okay, pull back the reins now. It's time to slow down a bit. Your path is elsewhere. It's still like this, kind of like this, but different. Yeah. So when you're an older lady sitting on your back porch with a bike parked up in the garage, what would you like to be remembered for? Uh, well, my bike won't be parked up in the garage. I'll be riding it <laughs> forever. Um, what would I like to remember? You know, just not to have any regrets, just to live the life, you know, because life is so short and we really, we take it for granted because it is really short. And just to know that I did everything that I could to live my best life, whatever that looked like. And for people who haven't found you yet, where, where can they find you on social media? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook under Rosie Gabrielle. That is R-O-S-I-E-G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Well, it's been inspiring talking to you, Rosie. Thanks ever so much for sharing all that with us. And we wish you the very best for your onward travels. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Don't sit on those dreams for too long. Get out there and make it happen. You can follow Rosa's journey on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram at Rosie Gabrielle. The posts are honest, the photos are amazing and the films are seriously heartwarming. Talking to Rosie makes me think that we should cover the topic of adventure travel more in future podcasts. So if you're dreaming of a big trip, do let us know what you'd like us to feature by contacting us via social media. That's all for now though. See you back here soon for the next episode of Ride and Talk where two well-known international GS Trophy faces will be telling us exactly what to expect in February in New Zealand. Bye for now.